The Old Testament reading for today is from 1 Kings chapter 19. Behold, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of, of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I... Even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return to the way of the wilderness to Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place." And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha the son of Shaphat, and was plying with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. This is the word of the Lord. Our epistle lesson for today is from Galatians chapter 5. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the ninth chapter. Glory to you, Lord. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go toward Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise be to you, O Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. As we come close to the 4th of July holiday, um, it's natural, I think, that the word freedom would be in the front of our minds. Freedom is, after all, that uh, quintessential American word, right? We all want freedom. We talk about freedom. It's plastered everywhere. And we all want to claim it. But how do we define it? What does freedom really mean? And what is freedom used for? Our text today, as we reflect on the theme of freedom, is going to be from Galatians 5, verse 1, which begins with the words, 
For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then in your freedom and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. It's a challenge for us as American citizens to reflect on the meaning of freedom, but it is also even more so as Christians to understand what does freedom mean because not all the uses of freedom are alike and sometimes there may be an apparent mismatch between what we as Christians think of as freedom and what the world thinks of as freedom. But generally speaking, just to kind of get us started off, freedom or liberty as we generally think about it means that we are not being uh, controlled or forced. So today in Galatians 5, he has a lot to say about freedom, but also about how freedom can be lost. Remember, he says, stand firm in your freedom. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, I want you to just reflect for a moment on the idea that freedom can be lost. Consider a few examples. What, is a, what kind of freedom does a teenager dream about? The freedom to drive that car, right? To take the keys and be able to go wherever they want. Unrestricted freedom, right? But how quickly can freedom be lost? Reckless speeding or an accident or some other circumstance can quickly make that freedom disappear. The freedom to use those keys is revoked. Privilege is lost. What about a, a prisoner who has served their full sentence they are out of prison. They are on parole. How do they use that newfound freedom? What if they go and commit a crime? They use that freedom to destroy it and pretty soon are back into the jail. Or what about the citizens of a free country? What if we take our freedoms? We use our freedoms to hurt our neighbor, to commit acts of violence, to harm one another, to divide each other to forget our values. Is that freedom? Freedom can degenerate, it can diminish, it can disappear. It can turn into oppression. So using freedom, though, to destroy freedom, that's really no freedom at all. It's really self-destruction, or maybe mutually assured destruction. So we can see that freedom doesn't bend toward evil. Freedom doesn't bend toward the things that lose freedom, but freedom, if it is meant to be kept and used and preserved, has to be bent toward what is good, toward the things that preserve freedom. Now let's go in a more spiritual direction. The freedom of a Christian. We're going to think about this more, but what if our sins are forgiven by Christ Jesus? And then in that freedom, we go back into our sin. Like the prisoners set free, we go back to a yoke of slavery. Or, in Paul's words again in this reading, we use our freedom as an opportunity of the flesh by gratifying the desires of the flesh. Freedom is lost. So we see this pattern that whatever kind of freedom we have, it can be wasted, it can be squandered, it can be misused or lost. Freedom is not self-sustaining. It's a childish or even a selfish notion to think that freedom just automatically exists by itself and that we can be in a consequence-free world where anything and everything we do won't have any negative impact on our freedom. 
but thinking more positively in the direction of what keeps freedom. Freedom can involve risks. It may require sacrifice. It does involve responsibility. Edith Hamilton said, responsibility is the price everyone must pay for freedom. Eleanor Roosevelt said, freedom makes a huge requirement of every human being. With freedom comes responsibility. For the person who is unwilling to grow up, for the person who is not able to carry their own weight, that's a frightening prospect. If we are free, we're not forced into something. That wouldn't be freedom if you're forced into something. But clearly there are choices that we can make in our freedom. We can make choices toward the good things that preserve and keep the freedom, and often those are the harder choices to make. Those require more of us. Or we can make the choices that lead to evil, to degeneracy, and to the loss of our freedom. So responsibility is not the enemy of freedom, but it's part and parcel of keeping freedom. And that's true of the lesser freedoms and the greater freedoms, our spiritual freedoms. So again, let's step back and look at the bigger picture and listen again to Paul's words, for freedom Christ set you free, stand firm then in your freedom and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Standing firm, that's that echo of the responsibility, the effort involved. It's not easy or automatic. What about this do not submit again to a yoke of slavery? What is a yoke? Not an egg yoke, but the big wooden bar that rests over the shoulders of oxen as they are plowing or they are pulling a wagon. It's a heavy weight. And what does that yoke, that heavy weight of slavery, represent? In the scriptures, it talks in Acts 15 about a yoke that was too heavy for our forefathers to bear. It is talking about the law of Moses that impossible, unachievable demand of full and complete obedience in every way to every single last one of God's commands. We can never please God by our own disappointing efforts to try to keep the law. It is a yoke, a heavy burden, a slavery that we couldn't bear. So then what does it mean that Christ set us free? How did he set us free from that yoke? Well, you know, first of all, that he took away your sin. He forgave you. All the guilt that accumulated from all of our failures and wrongdoing, he has lifted off of our backs, and he took upon himself that heavy yoke, that heavy burden, when he went to the cross. But even more than this, he also gives us his light and easy yoke. He has given us all his perfect obedience to the law, every good thing that Jesus did, the only man to walk perfectly in every way of the law, all that goodness that he did, it's counted to you. So you trade off the heavy yoke and burden of your sin, and you receive the light and easy yoke of his righteousness, his innocence as yours, an undeserved gift. That is the freedom for which we have been set free. So how do we stand firm in that freedom? Where is that freedom located? It's located in our hearts and in our conscience. 
drill down a little bit deeper, what does that freedom mean in your heart and conscience? It means that we are no longer troubled by the guilt, the shame, and the regret of what we have done wrong. We're free from God's judgment. He has lifted that regret away from us by his forgiveness. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of what he has done. And this freedom for which Christ has set us free, it's not just a freedom from, it's not just away from this, that, or the other thing, but it is a freedom for, it is towards something. It is a freedom to be put into use. Well, what does that freedom do? As I hinted before, it is aimed toward the love of God and the love of our neighbor. It is aimed toward those good things that allow freedom freedom to be preserved, to be kept. It is a freedom toward flourishing. And that's why I highlighted at the beginning that freedom can be lost. Freedom aims towards goodness that leads toward flourishing, or it aims towards evil that causes freedom to be perishing. Paul gives lengthy descriptions in our reading of the desires of the flesh, the works of the flesh, those things that diminish and destroy the freedom. And then he gives the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, those things that cause freedom to flourish and grow and expand. Didn't Jesus say, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly? Abundant life and flourishing freedom, they come with this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. But a yoke of slavery comes through the vices he names, from sexual immorality and idolatry to jealousy and anger, rivalry, drunkenness, and all the rest in between. So how do we do it? How do we keep this freedom that's so precious, so valuable, but so easy to lose? Well, first and foremost, and thanks be to God, it is not by our own effort under our own steam. You can read the rest of the book of Galatians to discover that. Paul warns us against the idea that you could begin by the hearing of faith, that you could begin in the spirit, but then somehow finish in the flesh, meaning by your own effort, by your own law-keeping your own moral perfection. It doesn't work that way. If you begin in the Spirit, you must finish in the Spirit. Under God's steam is how this happens. All by the grace of God in Christ Jesus, abundant life and flourishing comes by the work of God alone. So begin in the Spirit, end in the Spirit. In the last verse of our reading, it says in 525, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step. I know we have a few military members here. And if you hear that, keep in step, you might think about marching. You might be thinking about keeping in time. Left, 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 right, left, right. Marching in a formation. There's a sergeant and there's a cadence caller who calls out uh, a cadence, sometimes they get a little uh, humorous, darkly humorous with their rhymes. 
but marching in step. And that maybe sounds a little bit too rigid, maybe a little monotonous for uh, some of us to uh, march in step with the freedom of the Spirit. Does that sound like freedom to you? But our Christian life in Christian freedom, it's not rigid or monotonous. It's as varied and beautiful as all the different paths in life that you walk in the Spirit. In your own life, your own vocation, wherever God has placed you, wherever he has given you your own little arena to live out the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But you are in sync. You're in harmony. You're in step with the Spirit. That's what it means to walk in step with the Spirit. That our lives are transformed and they are defined by these fruits of the Spirit, fruits of love in whatever we do. Because we recognize it's so easy for us to stumble, to get out of step, out of sync with the Spirit. All it takes is some impatience, irritation, the little unnecessary provocations of a family member or a co-worker to get us set off with angry thoughts, bitterness, jealousy, rivalry, or to look out in the world and see the temptations of sexual immorality or substance abuse or greed or whatever might allure us, and suddenly we are out of step with the Spirit. We are walking out of step. How do we course correct? Well, in the military, you got to listen to that cadence caller. They call you back into sync. And so as Christians, we need to listen to the cadence caller. We need to hear the word of God. We need to hear the truth. And it bounces us back into step with the Spirit. It helps us make that course correction to find the forgiveness of sins that comes to us only through Jesus Christ so that we can walk again in his teachings in step with the Spirit. Whenever we hear the word of God, we can hear it in two different ways. We can hear it through our flesh, our sinful flesh. We can hear it in the new creation that we are in Christ Jesus, according to the Spirit. Now, from the flesh, the old sinful nature, as it hears this kind of freedom, the Christian freedom, it says, no, I want permission to run wild and do everything I can, everything I want with no consequences. That's what the flesh wants. That's the kind of freedom it wants. But again, Paul says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh to do what it desires. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 2.16. He says, do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Admit it, to the flesh, it sounds like no fun. It almost sounds like maybe it's no freedom at all. But now listen with the ears of faith. In the new creation, who are you? Who are you to become in these fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience. This flourishing freedom that comes with responsibility, lived out in fruits of the Spirit, it is a wide-open opportunity for you to create the kind of community, to create, create the kind of goodness and excellence in your gifts that God desires. And think about how beautiful it is and how the devil would sell it short. He would try to make that Christian freedom, that spiritual freedom, seem paltry and weak and unimportant. 
But what kind of community can you create when you are loving and serving one another, when you are encouraging and helping those who are needy and vulnerable, when you are creating safety by exercising self-control in your actions toward others and being delighted in the good things that others bring into our lives and communities? Is that a place where you want to live? Is that a community in which you want to live and support one another? I believe it is, where there is understanding and kindness, where people are not coerced or forced into doing what is right reluctantly because someone's there pushing them, but freely motivated, freely doing what is good because we are driven by the spirit and self-control and we seek goodness on our own. That freedom to flourish is a wide open space. It's a beautiful canvas to paint on to find and discover your God-given gifts, to use your creativity to create and discover beauty in the world, to find wholesome dreams for your family and your society, protecting the weak and the disadvantaged. This freedom for which Christ sets us free, it would only seem narrow and constrained to the mind of the flesh, the flesh that only thinks of its own desires and that would quickly surrender its freedom for another taste of sin. Brothers and sisters, your freedom is a precious gift from God, from Christ Jesus. It was not won by your own sacrifice or effort. It was won by his precious blood shed on the cross. It's a greater gift that we can even imagine or realize when we look narrowly through the desires of our flesh. Yes, there are dangers, there are threats to our freedom, but there is only one who truly maintains and keeps our freedom so that we walk in step with him. Christ Jesus, the one who set us free and his Holy Spirit who calls us to walk in step with him. And only his forgiveness sets our feet back on the path when we stray. So by God's grace, may we flourish in that freedom, in step with the Spirit, living out those fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. In Christ Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus and the life everlasting. Amen.